In the world today, August 2021, we are seeing so much evil. And obviously for us living in the world today, we might rightly argue that we have never seen such division, such hate, evil, and the like. Yet if we read scripture, you will see over and over throughout history, these things have happened, not only with the people of God, but to the people of God. Why? Have we rejected God? Welcome to WCKS, where we can't keep silent about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Welcome back to the channel. This is your host, Michael Russell, and I am super, super thrilled that you're back with me. And before we get into the episode, I want to kind of take care of business here with encouraging you to follow the channel. My This podcast is on Spotify, Pandora, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, um, Amazon Music Podcast, as well as Podbean, which is my host site. And I'd really appreciate it if you would follow the channel as this is a benefit to the channel, but also it will notify you when I have dropped new content. In addition, WCKS, which stands for We Can't Keep Silent, has a YouTube channel, which I also post on, and I would encourage you to subscribe to the channel and like it as the posts drop, or thumbs down if you don't like it, but comment. Give me a comment. Also, you can communicate with me via email at wecantkeepsilent.com at gmail.com. That's all one word, no apostrophes or anything. We can't keep silent at gmail.com. With that, today's episode, we're going to be focusing on a passage of scripture, several of them, frankly, coming out of 1 Samuel. I'm going to be picking up in verse 8, yet I want to kind of give a preface of why this has come to fruition. As I was studying and planning out for the next two episodes, which will be on um, progressive Christianity and about the Bible, I was seeing all kinds of headlines and you know news articles and stories that are going on in the world. And I was grieved. My heart was really grieved, especially when you know some of those news articles had to do with Christianity. So, just to make sure everyone is tracking with me, the news stories of today would be the Afghanistan Taliban takeover and the world's response to that takeover or maybe lack of response. The increase in Christian persecution, not just in Afghanistan, but throughout the world, the moral decline throughout the world, especially in America, corruption all around vile news stories about child trafficking and sex scandals and all that, racial dividedness, social dividedness, family dividedness, you know, the arguments of this is my body, my truth kind of thing, the pursuit of spirituality, yet not Christianity, and the continued decline in interest of the Bible. I can go on and on and on, as I'm sure you can, of things that we're just grieved by because it just seems like this world is just 
decaying and going down and down and down. So again, as I noted, this episode is going to be a precursor and set the stage for the next two. The next one being progressive Christianity. We're going to talk through what it is and whether or not it's it's a good thing and biblical and something we should pursue. And the next one, the two weeks out from now, would be how on earth can we believe in an ancient religious book written by men? Is the Bible really the Word of God? And that is actually being prompted by some surveys that have come out recently. But all of these, I think, you'll see wrapped together. We're going to wrap them all together and see what, what on earth is happening. Are we rejecting God? So I do believe you're not going to want to miss any of those. I appreciate you sticking with me. Please stick with me all the way through this. And uh, I trust the Holy Spirit will teach and guide all of us here. So let's get into our passage. We're going to be picking up in 1 Samuel chapter 8, starting in verse 4. And we read, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the other nations. But this thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. They have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so that so they also are doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the way, the ways that the king who shall reign over them will be. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king for him. He said, These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them as his chariots, uh, to his chariots, and to be his horsemen, and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and of commanders of fifties, and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest, and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the, te uh, the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his, uh, his officers and his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day, you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourself. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel and they said, no, but there shall be a king over us that we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. 
And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, Go, every man to his city. Now I want to kind of sit on that, folks. This is such a frightening event in, in our history. Not, not the first or worst, but definitely significant. The nation of Israel, who God had specifically called and cultivated, cared for, fought for, comforted, disciplined, loved, they are boldly rejecting him at this moment recorded in this passage. This is devastating, and quite frankly, this is life-ending. And what I, what I mean by that is, when we reject God, that's a sin. And the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. And now we're going to continue in this. I'm going to jump now from 1 Samuel 9 over to verse 1 Samuel chapter 10. We're going to pick up in verse 19. So as God has commanded Samuel, he's now progressing towards assigning them a king. We pick up in 19, it says, but today you have rejected your God. So just in case maybe I'm misrepresenting the first section that I read, <laughs> here Samuel reiterates it very clearly. You have rejected your God who saved you, who saves you from all your calamities and your distress, and you have said to him, set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. So... This is when he's now in the process of picking that king and basically tells everyone, line up so that I, through God's directive, can dismiss each of the tribes and clans until we get to the, the person that God has, you know, commanded me to bring forward to you as your king. Okay. So the key here, though, is you have rejected God. You have rejected God. God and the calamities that are coming upon you or will be coming upon you are due to the fact that you rejected God. Okay, I want you to hear that. Now, I'm speaking to believers who I believe once you're saved, you're saved for eternity because of the perfect, complete work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Our salvation is not dependent on our works. Uh, Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but by his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. So once you're saved, uh, Ephesians chapter one, having believed, you are marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, which is a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance, a deposit. The spirit of God indwells us, comes into our hearts and takes control of our soul, okay? However, we can rebel against God as his children, okay? So I need you to hear this, rejecting God, rejecting his directives and commands. That is at, at hand here. Keep in mind, all mankind has rejected God. We've committed treason. So we are all guilty of sin, and the wages of sin is death. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. The wages of sin is death. We deserve to die. We deserve punishment. But before we simply point our fingers at Israel and wag our heads and, 
and say, tisk tisk, you Israelites, we have all fallen into sin. We have all rejected God. And yet I am talking too to the believer, the truly born again, that we reject God at times. We rebel, we sin. So listen, everyone listen. Now, if we jump now, we went from 1 Samuel 9, jumped into a little bit of 1 Samuel 10. Now we're going to pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 12. In verse 6 and following, it says, And Samuel said to the people, The Lord is my witness, who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now, therefore, stand still that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for you and for your fathers. When Jacob went into Egypt and the Egyptians oppressed them, then your father fathers cried out to the Lord and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in the in this place but they forgot the Lord their God and he sold them into the hands of Sisera commander of the army of Hazor and into the hand of the Philistines and into the hand of the king of Moab and they fought against them And they cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken you, Lord, and have served other Baals and the Ashereth. Those are idols. But now deliver us out of the hands of our enemies that we may serve you. And the Lord sent Jeroboam and Barak and Jephthan and Samuel and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side. And you lived in safety. And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Amorites, came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was your king. And now behold, the king whom you have chosen, for whom you have asked, behold, the Lord has set a king over you. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, you will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. Now, therefore, stand still, and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. This is not, is, I'm sorry, is not, is it not wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain. And you shall know and see your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking for yourself a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God, that we may not die. For we have added to our sins this evil, to ask for ourselves a king. And Samuel said to the people, Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil, yet... 
Do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because he has he is because he has pleased I'm sorry, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, and I will instruct you in the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do not I'm sorry, but if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. And I'll stop there. Folks, this is very, very difficult to hear, but it's truth. This is truth. God is sovereign. God is the creator of the heavens and the earth and everything in it. God is not someone to just simply dismiss our very existence is in God. Yet clearly our generation here in 2021 has rejected God. Now, now I'm not saying every single solitary person. I'm speaking in general terms here. Look at the world. Not only is the world pursuing things that are just graphically evil and against God's commands and design, I mean, abortion, homosexuality, transgenderism, uh, and all the, the you know, sexual orientation stuff, um, the children's sex trafficking, um, murders, war, uh, you know, I can, I can be here for hours talking about the evil that's going on in the world and how that is counter to God, counter to what he has commanded creation how to live. Okay? The world has rejected God as their king in the same way that we saw just now in 1 Samuel chapter 9 and following. That is treason. That is treason. Give us a different king to follow. We're gonna, we saw in that last passage where you will be his slave. Well, we have rejected God as our king, and the king that we have followed is Satan, the devil. And it's only by God's grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, his son, that we are saved away from the enemy. We are rescued. Praise the Lord for that. But frankly, even brothers and sisters, believers, born-again believers that I'm talking to right now, we do not understand, we do not recognize how wicked our own sinfulness is before our holy God. If we did, that kind of fear that we just read where the all of a sudden the thunder and lightning and rain came when, when Samuel prayed for it and the people were frightened because they, they real, really recognize this just doesn't happen. You don't just snap your fingers and all of a sudden something like this happens. And they knew they were experiencing the power and presence of God, and that terrified them. We need to be terrified that way. We need to recognize God is God. 
absolute God. He can take our life at a moment with no issues. Okay? But the the demeanor, the demeanor of the world is if God is a God of love, then why is this all happening? Why is all this evil in the world? If God's a God of love, why is all this evil? And then why am I going through these trials? If God loves me, why am I going through these trials? So I want you to think for a moment in, in that backdrop. And I covet, I, I, I commit to suggest all of us have considered that at one point in our lives or another. And many of you might be thinking that right this second about you. Why is God doing this to me? Whether you have a, an illness or lost your job or your house or your marriage or your children, uh, maybe a death in the family or whatever, whatever it may be, and you're shaking your fist at God, how could you? How could you do this? Okay. You're a God of love. Why are you making my life hard? Type of thing. Now, I want to I give you a scenario. If, if some evil occurred to you, for example, and I, I might be a little graphic here, but let's say you were raped or let's say you were molested as a child or you were trafficked. I mean, something, all of which are, are evil and, and just, I, I personally cannot say that I, I understand it, but I'm making a point and I'm being very extreme for a reason or you experienced murder. Like maybe your your spouse or or parent or or sibling or child or close friend or whatever was murdered. Okay, whatever this grievous offense was that happened to you, and they did a, you know, they did the investigations, everything. They come across the perpetrator. They find the person that did it, and they finally get to court. You finally stand before the judge, and and you find out, oh, this is the loving judge. This is the, the loving judge. And maybe there's a moment in your heart where you're thinking, oh, sweet, I'm going to get justice because I have a loving judge that I'm standing before. And the case is heard. The evidence is laid out and it seems cut and dry. You have no doubt and you deserve justice. You deserve it. You've been offended. And the perpetrator's across the aisle next to you, and the evidence is out. It's clear. You deserve justice. And then it comes to the, the point of a verdict. And the loving judge steps up to the mic, and he says, you know, guys, hey, I'm a loving judge. So I just want to show some love here. Perpetrator, you're free to go. You would be livid. You would be so angry. You would be broken. You would be beyond yourself because there would be no justice in that. Someone has to pay. And in that example, you're paying. Again, you not only suffered the loss or the, the attack, the wrong, but then justice wasn't served. So it's almost like a double, a double hit. Okay. I think that makes sense to you. I think that I think all of us would resonate with that and recognize, yeah, that would not actually be loving of the judge. 
might seem loving to the perpetrator, but they deserved punishment because they did a crime. There is a punishment that goes along with crime, breaking the law, and they deserved a punishment. And they got nothing because that was the loving thing to do, right? Well, let's talk for a moment about sin. We need to understand sin, what it is and how it affects or how it, it, the result of it maybe is a better way to put it. So I'm going to give you another kind of word picture and think about this. If I took a, a piece of paper and I crumpled it up into a little ball, not necessarily a huge giant thing, but just a little ball, and I tossed it at you, my friend, and it happened to hit you in the face or something. You might go, hey, what'd you do that for? Or maybe we're playing around and I get lucky and I get you in the face and you're trying to swat it away or whatever. It would be dismissed by and large. Now, if I heaved it at you and it really hurts you or something, that's a little different. But I'm just simply saying, I throw a paper at you. I toss a piece of paper at you and it hits you. Maybe not even in the face. It just hits you. You're going to dismiss it because it's not a big offense and you know me kind of a thing. However... If I take that same piece of paper and I throw it at an officer, a police officer, and it hits them, they could possibly, you know, arrest me for assaulting an officer or something along those lines. Maybe not, but they're going to definitely have a word with me, okay? But if I say take the same piece of paper and I walk up to the President of the United States and I throw it at him or her, but I throw it at them, I am surely going to be tackled by the Secret Service and I am going to be arrested for assaulting the president and maybe a plethora of other laws that I have broken, okay? So what am I, what's my point here? My point is the, the offense is weighted by who is offended. So the punishment or the debt of that offense is weighted based on who it is that's offended. So now let's go back to sin. Sin ultimately is treason. We are rejecting the authority and sovereignty of God. God is our creator. God is our life, our breath. God has given us commands, imperatives and expects us to obey him. He's the king. And we have said, nah, I, I don't want to obey you. I want to do what I want to do, or I want to do what this other thing wants me to do. For example, the serpent in the story in Genesis chapter 3. Just go eat the fruit that God told you not to eat. Go disobey God. It's not the fruit. It's not the tree. It's the fact that God said, don't do it. And they went and broke the rules. They, they said, I don't want to listen to you. I want to do what I want to do. Okay. Now, because we sinned against God, the debt we owe is comparative to who it is we sinned against. God is absolute sovereign. God is infinite. God is all-knowing, all-powerful. He spoke all things into existence just by the word of his mouth. 
He's everywhere all the time. He knows everything, the end from the beginning. And we've now offended him. We've tre- caused, uh, committed treason. So our debt that we owe, the punishment we deserve, is infinite prison. And that prison is known as hell. That's what we deserve. Okay. But we say to God, oh, come on. You're, you're a loving God. Just let it go. Oh, okay. So let's go back to the first scenario. You're a loving judge, so he's going to let it go. But that doesn't, that does not satisfy you. In fact, that, that actually makes it worse, as I said, but it also breaks any kind of concept of hope. If I cannot go to a judge who's just and going to give me justice for this offense that has happened to me, making restoration or or at least exacting punishment on the perpetrator, if I can't even have hope in that, what hope is there? Okay, so now let's apply it to God. If we have sinned and grievously racked up debt that we can never pay and we deserve punishment. And then we say, this isn't fair. Excuse me. We need to really face ourselves in the mirror and recognize fair. (laughs) What's fair is punishment. You deserve to be punished. And then we realized Okay, so now I realize that I have committed this sin. And are you telling me there's no hope? There's no other hope? And enter God's mercy. But in order for God to pour out his mercy, the debt still needs to be paid. So if all he does is say, okay, fine, you can go, just like that perpetrator in our first story, That would be unfair. You deserve to be punished. Someone deserves to be punished. Something has to pay the debt. And enter God. Enter God. In order for the debt to be completely paid, the payment has to be infinite. Because a finite payment is not going to pay off an infinite debt. Even with us, the wages of sin is death, Romans chapter 6, verse 23, and we die. We all know we all die. Matter of fact, everything dies, plants, animals, everything, because everything is corrupted by sin. So we all die. But even at death, is it paying the debt off? No, because what follows in our natural state, our sinful natural state, What follows death is eternal punishment in hell until we pay off the debt, which, because we're finite and the debt is infinite, will never, ever, ever happen. We're bound to debtor's prison for eternity. Where's the hope? Well, God in his mercy has made a way. By sending his own son, God the Son, to earth to become a man, to take on flesh, 
and be just like us, suffering like us in every way, yet without sin. He was born not of a man and a woman. He was born of a virgin by the seed of God, supernaturally. The power of the Holy Spirit put life inside of Mary, God the Son, took on flesh, became a baby, became a human, walked the earth, lived the perfect sinless life only to go to the cross and become our sacrificial lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is known as propitiation by his blood. So he dies on a cross and satisfies the debt of sin that humankind racked up. He pays it off. Now, that debt is satisfied. It allows God's justice and mercy to be poured out. And God sends the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, out and calls people to himself. We hear the gospel message. The Spirit of God quickens our heart to hear it, to recognize our sinfulness before God, and to repent. We, we are contrite. We are broken. We are scared. We recognize we are sinners, and we cry out in begging mercy from God. Please save us, and we repent of the sins that we have been committing, which means to turn away from it, stop doing it, show self-control. Well, we can't as a dead sinner, but once the Spirit of God regenerates our life, He empowers us to change and become holy. This is known as sanctification. Listen to my last uh, podcast. It's on this very topic. That happens, and then we begin the battle, the internal battle between our new soul, our new creation soul, and our flesh that is dying. As born-again believers, we're still going to die. We're still going to suffer sickness and all that, and it's due to sin that exists in this creation. But our hope is eternity with God forever on a new earth and a new heaven where we are the bride of Christ. Christ is the groom. We are the bride. We have a supernatural marriage, a union for eternity where there's no more sin or death or, or hatred or evil or crying. It's all made new. But in this life, there is purpose, but there will be trial. There will be difficulty. Now, I want to end us with a last passage, very famous passage in John chapter 3. But I want to start it, uh, give you a little heads up on it. There's a gentleman in this story named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Jewish Pharisee. Uh, the Pharisees, Sadducees, was like a religious party. Um, the Pharisees were like the conservative religious, and the Sadducees were a little more of the liberal religious. Uh, they had different belief systems. And then above the Judaism was a court, if you would, known as the Sanhedrin. Nicodemus is not only a Pharisee, but he's part of the Sanhedrin. He serves on the Sanhedrin board, if you would. 
And he comes to Jesus, we pick up in verse 1 of chapter 3, now there came a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now listen to how Jesus responds. It, it, there's nothing more said in this conversation other than what's documented here. So we assume this is like how the conversation went. Jesus re, uh, answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Okay? It had nothing to do with what Nicodemus started with, but Nicodemus goes with it. Verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how, how can these things be? And Jesus said to him, are you the teacher of Israel, and you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can, I tell, uh, how can you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man, that's Jesus. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, I'm going to stop right there. Kind of help give us a little bit of history and a little perspective on what that last verse meant. Verse 14, And when Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believe in him may have eternal life. So in the wilderness, after Moses and Aaron, through God's power and the 10 plagues, led Israel out of Egypt and they ended up in the wilderness, there came a time when the Israelites were sinning against God and God judged them and punished them by sending in fiery serpents into the camp. And these snakes, these serpents, began to bite people and those people ended up dying. Some of them, many of them died. So they began to cry out to Moses and God saying, oh, save us. So Moses went to God. And God says, okay, fashion a bronze serpent and put it on a stick, on a pole, and set that up in the midst of the camp. And if anyone is bit by that, they can look up at that pole and they would be saved. Okay. Now it's interesting in the medical association in America, the symbol for that is a serpent wrapped around a pole. Interesting little tidbit there. So the idea is, if you believe what God is saying, that just looking at this little bronze snake on a pole will save you, so you believe God in faith, 
then believe the Lamb of God <laughs> who pays the dead off in full when he is lifted up on a cross, that whoever believes in him and what he did, his cross work, may have eternal life. Okay? And then we get into the very famous John 3.16, and it hopefully now makes even more sense. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light, who is Christ, the light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But everyone who does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And I'll end there. So, you see, because... God is just and righteous. Justice had to be exacted. Someone had to pay the price. And God had every right to exact it on us and send us all to hell to pay the rest of it off for eternity, which would never happen. Okay? But justice had to be served. Otherwise, God would not be God. God would not be just and God is just by its very definition. God is righteous, just, holy, perfect, sinless, all those things. Okay. So how did he do it? God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, three persons. God the Son came to earth, emptying the, the benefits that he had when he was in heaven, and coming to earth and living as a human being became flesh. He didn't cease to be God. He continued to be 100% God, while at the same time took on flesh and became 100% man and lived the life of a human being perfectly. He didn't have a human father, so he himself was not born sinful as every other human being is. His father was God. So he was born perfect. And he lived the perfect life, yet he suffered in every way you and I did. Yet he did it without sin. Only to go to the cross and become sin for us, as Paul tells us. He that knew no sin became sin for us in order to be our propitiation. This satisfaction of the debt that we owed God. He paid it, completely paid it, because he's God, and he could. And that enabled the Father, in all holiness and righteousness, to then send the Spirit out, God the Holy Spirit, through the gospel. When the gospel is preached and people hear it and hear that we are sinners in need of a Savior, the Holy Spirit quickens their heart 
to open up and receive that and hear it and be crushed, broken in their heart in order to repent, to turn away from that and to confess their sins before God and cry out for saving, saving, to be saved, trusting in the cross work of Jesus Christ by faith. I do believe his death and resurrection paid my debt. I believe you, Lord. I believe you. And they will be saved, indwelt by God the Spirit, Ephesians chapter 1. Okay? This is supernatural. This is not a club. This is not by our effort. This is supernatural. Salvation by grace, grace of God, through faith, faith in Christ, that we are saved. It's by grace you have been saved through faith and this not of yourself. It's an act of God, not by works, so that none of us can boast. Okay? So, how do I wrap this back up with our First Samuel passage and the whole point of this message? Have we rejected God? Well, even the nation of Israel who God clearly said in those passages that I read, he had set aside to be a people for himself. He had promised David that there would always be a remnant, a piece, a portion of the nation of Israel that would be God's holy people. Yet all of Israel rebelled. Yet all of Israel rebelled. So over and over, he disciplined them through circumstances of life, being taken captive, uh, dying in war, um, plagues, you know, afflictions somehow, um, the snakes, for example, the story I told of snakes, whatever. But it's a discipline, and he has every right to discipline, to, to exact punishment because of their sin and rebellion. Okay? We need to see that. Church, you need to understand the grievousness of sin before the perfect holy God. We just do not. We downgrade that level of sin. Hey, everyone's doing it. What's the big deal? No. This is a one-on-one -on -one situation. You and God. Forget everyone else. Forget everyone else. And working towards being good and holy and righteous does not earn us salvation. Because salvation was secured at the cross by Christ. And our belief in that, our faith in that, was empowered by the Holy Spirit. So we can't take credit for the faith we exercise either. This is all supernatural. All by God. Yet, Scripture tells us, Paul tells us, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, because uh, for it is God who works in you to will and do according to his purpose. Okay, so though we are commanded to strive towards being holy and put away the old fleshly carnal desires and, and sins that we commit, we recognize the only way we can even do that is through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit's job is to teach us, guide us, comfort us, and shape us into the image of Jesus Christ in us. Okay. So when we look around the world and we see this just utter corruption and sin and evil happening, that's because the world is in the power of the enemy, but the church is in the midst of the world, scattered about. We are the light of the world and the world is dark. Remember that passage I read in John chapter three, the light has come into the world, but the darkness has rejected it. 
Yet our calling through the power of the Holy Spirit, by the grace of God, is to take the message of hope to this dark and lost and dying world and trusting that the, the Lord of the harvest, sending workers into the harvest field, will grant a harvest to be brought back, people to be saved and born again and brought into the kingdom of God. If you have further questions about this topic, send me an email. We can't keep silent at gmail.com or leave a comment. Some of these have comments. Please correspond with me if you have any questions. If you want me to pray for you, send me your prayer requests. Uh, if you want to continue a dialogue one-on-one, I'd love that. Be in heaven. Let me know. In the meantime, I look forward for you coming back as we continue to dive into more you know, challenges that are out there in the world and what Scripture has to say about them. Uh, specifically, next, next post will be on progressive Christianity. What is it? And uh, is that something we should be pursuing? Uh, and we will carry on from there. So let me know if you have any comments or questions. I thank you. I thank you. I thank you. And I am praying for this family, this, the, the folks that listen and hear this, that God would use it for his glory. Uh, to touch your life and build you up and save you if you do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And until next time, be blessed. I appreciate you joining me today for this episode. Please follow the channel and share it with others and join me for the next post. Until then, be blessed. <laughs>